0: Well, can I invite you to turn with me, please, to uh, 1 Samuel 7, uh, 1 Samuel 7 in your Bibles or uh, in the order of service. We, uh, we read the first part uh, of the, the first half of the chapter in our um, reading today, uh, but I'll be preaching from the whole chapter. Can uh, I say 1 Samuel 7? 2 Samuel 7. Thank you, 2 Samuel 7. Let me lead us in prayer uh, as we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that you speak to us uh, by your Spirit through your Word. Uh, thank you that you've been speaking to us as your Word was read. And we pray now that as we come to consider this passage, uh, that your Spirit will be working in each of our hearts and lives. Uh, help me to preach your Word rightly and faithfully and in his power. And we pray that uh, in each one of our hearts, your Spirit will be pointing us to Jesus, uh, to love him, appreciate him, serve him, uh, and hold fast to him. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the next few weeks, uh, we Malaysians will be recipients of many promises uh, as politicians uh, seek our votes at the general elections. But whatever coalition comes to power, they will in the end disappoint us, won't they? Uh, And we kind of expect that. For even those who are sincere in trying to keep their promises may be thwarted in their efforts to do so. But what about God? Have you ever been disappointed with God? Ever had a time where you felt that God let you down? That somehow or other, He failed to deliver what He promised? Well, in our passage today, we're going to see some amazing promises from God. And as we look at these promises from God made to David, and how He, God, fulfilled them, my prayer is that we would grow in our confidence in the God who makes and fulfills his promises. Over the last few chapters of 2 Samuel, God has made David king over all Israel, given him victory over his enemies. David had captured Jerusalem, made it his stronghold. Uh, The king of Tyre had set carpenters and cedar wood and and actually built David a a, a palace, a house. And and David had brought the Ark of the Covenant, uh, where God met with his people, up to Jerusalem. Because even though David is the king, and he's in his palace, actually the real king is God himself. And David knows that he rules under him. Now at the beginning of chapter 7, David is living in his palace made of cedar. And not only that, verse 1, God has given him rest from his enemies, all his surrounding enemies. That's a picture of blessing, God's people at rest. In God's place but David senses something is amiss and so he says to Nathan the prophet in verse 2 see now I dwell in a house of cedar but the ark of God dwells in a tent like that seems to be the wrong way around after all God is the true king David is only ruling under him and now actually the way David is thinking is good isn't it right it's so obviously good that Nathan immediately says to him in verse 3, Go, do what's in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But you know, even though David was thinking of a good thing, that wasn't in God's plan. Not everything we think of as being a good and godly thing is actually part of God's plan. God's ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are deeper than ours. What we think, however noble it seems, may not be his plan, and whatever we think, whatever and however noble it seems, must always be tested according to his word. And that very night, verse 4, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, and it was a message for David. And God starts that message by actually saying that he never asked for a house of cedar, Verse 5, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since I brought the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been dwelling, moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all the places I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? God, never complain. See, as much as David was thinking good thoughts, actually, God must be the one to initiate the building of the temple. can't be someone else. When it comes to the great events of salvation history, it's always God who takes the initiative. This is God's role. This is God's plan. True religion comes from God, not from the ideas of man. In fact, come to think of it, God was the one who initiated everything for David, and God reminds him that. He reminds him in verse 8 that he had taken him from the pastures, from following sheep, to be prince of Israel. God reminds him that he has been with him in verse 9, and he's defeated his enemies. God is the one who has actually brought David to where he is. That's a good and gracious thing, but you know what? That's just the start. God has more promises for David, which echo the promises God made a thousand years beforehand to Abraham. God will make for David in verse 9 a great name, He will appoint a place for Israel and plant them in verse 10. He will make sure they are no longer disturbed by their enemies and by violent men like they were in the time of the judges. And in the first half of verse 11, he will give rest to David from his enemies. Now, we already saw in verses past that this is at least partially already fulfilled. What God is saying is there's going to be more, it's going to be even better. The promises to Abraham will be fulfilled in an even bigger way than David and his people just enjoying peace and blessing in the promised land. Again, this is God's initiative. The New Testament word for this is grace. God treating David and indeed his people so much better than they could possibly earn or deserve, and God being the one to take the initiative in doing that. But you know what? There's more. Remember how David wanted to build God a house that is a temple? Well, look what God says in the second half of verse 11. He says, Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Now there's a bit of a pun going on here. right? The word house in English can be building, right? in this case a temple, or it could be a, a dynasty. And, and, and David's saying, and, and the pun works just as well in Hebrew as it, was, as it works in English, right? God is, David's saying, I want to build you a house, a temple. And God is saying, no, 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 I'm going to build you a house, a dynasty. But a dynasty starts with a son. And that son, will, God says, and that's God's gracious provision to David, God says, that son will build my house, that is my temple. Verses 12 and 13. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers... I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever." So David's son will build God's house, and God is going to make his kingdom last forever. You know what? There's still more. God in verse 14 would have a father-son relationship with the son of David. I will be to him, verse 14, a father and he shall be to me a son. But what if he he goes astray? What what if he sins? Is that going to be the end of the dynasty? Because that's what happened to Saul, right? Well, verse 14 continues. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. God will discipline the the king who sins, but David's dynasty will keep on going forever. And these promises then are not just for David's immediate son, because they go far beyond that, all the way to eternity. Verse 16, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Now that is, that is a pretty amazing promise, isn't it? Right, climax of all these promises because you know what there's never been anything like that in the history of the world and now the oldest dynasty on earth today is in Japan according to legend that dynasty was founded in 660 BC although we've got historical records from the fourth century onwards it's pretty impressive actually but no dynasty lasts forever yet A forever house is what God promises David through Nathan. And in verse 17, Nathan conveys that to David. So how's David going to respond? Oh, see in verse 18 that he goes in, presumably to the tent around the ark, He sits before the Lord. He knows God has done so much for him already that he doesn't deserve. He responds with humility, reflecting on God's grace to him. He says in verse 18, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? All that God has done for him already is because of God, not because of him. He knows that. Who am I? And great as it was, verse 19, that is small compared to what God is going to do in the future. Something that's relevant for all humankind. And David knows that None of this happened because of his own greatness. Right? God knows him, or in another translation, chose him because of his promise, according to his own heart, right? not because of David. And all David can say in verse 22 is, God is great, God is great. There is no one like him. And God's greatness is shown in his grace. David then reflects not just on his, his, his goodness to him, but his grace to Israel. There's no nation like them, for they are, verse 23, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing great and awesome things. Right? Remember, they were slaves in Egypt. And what did God do? God redeemed them for himself, so they belonged to him. And then he brought them to the promised land. He gave them the land by driving out the nations that were there before them, and their gods. He made them, verse 24, to be his people, and he became their God. He redeemed them, he made them his people, he became their God, he gave them the land. That's amazing, that's God's amazing goodness. So having received these promises and reflecting on God's promise, reflecting on his great grace, David prays for God to fulfill his promise. To the glory of his name from verse 25 and now O lord confirm forever the words you have spoken concerning your servant concerning his house as you have spoken and may your name be magnified forever saying the lord of hosts is god of israel and the house of your servant david will be established before you right david is able to pray asking god to fulfill his promise to bless his house and he can do it with confidence because he deserves it but because god promised it he prays love verse 27 for you lord god of hosts the god of israel have made this revelation to your servant saying i will build you your house therefore your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you right his courage his confidence comes from god's promise and now O lord god verse 28 you are god your words are true you have promised this good thing to your servant Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant, so it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. You know, sometimes we pray and we don't know what to pray for. Uh, We don't know what God's will is. But you know what? It is always safe to pray for the things that God has promised but hasn't yet fulfilled. Always safe to pray for that. But Jesus teaches us to pray that way, doesn't he? Right? He teaches us to pray for God's kingdom, for God's will, for God's glory. And all these things we can pray with faith and with confidence, knowing that God hears our prayers and that God will indeed do what we have asked because of his promise. Now, as we look at back this passage, uh, we realize that God has turned the topic of the chapter from what David wanted to do for God to what God was going to do for David. You see that? And friends, I see there are many things that we might want to do for God. And many of them are good things. Don't let me discourage you. Fantastic! It's not sinful to want to do good things for God. But far, far more important is what God in His grace has done for us and what God has graciously promised to do for us in the future For we are like those people of Israel we are slaves not in Egypt but to sin and Satan facing eternal death and God has also redeemed us he redeemed us through Jesus who died for us taking our sins in our place and made us his own he's done great and awesome things for us even more great and awesome than the things he did for Israel He did that in the death and resurrection of Jesus, made us his people, and he is our God. And one day he will bring us to the promised land, which is the new creation, the new heaven and new earth, where we will indeed be at rest from all our enemies. God has given us these great and precious promises indeed, not because we can earn them or deserve them, but because of his grace, to the glory Of his name. Now what about those promises to David? How do they get fulfilled? Well David's son Solomon did indeed build the temple just as God said. When he sinned God indeed punished him just as he warned that he would. But God's steadfast love remained with David's house And so, if you compare with the northern kingdom, so many changes in dynasty in the northern kingdom. In the southern kingdom, the descendant of David continued on the throne in Jerusalem. One dynasty, all the way until the exile. But then, the exile came. when God punished his people by removing them from the land. And even when they came back from exile, well, there was no Davidic king. And it looked like God hasn't fulfilled his promises. And that's certainly what it looks like at the beginning of our gospel reading today, where Mary is a young woman, and the puppet king Herod, with no Davidic blood in him at all, is on the throne. What's happened to God's promises? how would you feel if you're one of the Israelites in the in those days right? could you t- keep trusting God would he have kept the faith knowing that in spite of everything you see everything you see there, God is still faithful somehow or other in a way that you can't imagine God's still going to keep his promises to David Would you be able to believe that cry out to him and beg him and ask him please do it quickly would you been able to say God I don't know what you're doing I don't understand but I know that you are loving I know that you are faithful I know that you keep your promises, that your faithfulness endures, even though I cannot reconcile it with the way things are looking out. But God, would you please do something? Well, listen to what the angel said to the Virgin Mary about the baby she was going to have. Luke chapter 1, verse 32. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there shall be no end. Friends, God would fulfill his promises to David in Jesus Christ. Great David's greater son. The true anointed one of God. Like Solomon, Jesus is not only son of David, but son of God. In fact, every king, every son of David in David's kingly line, every king of Israel was, in a sense, a son of God, in the sense of the promises God's given to David. But the ultimate fulfillment of that would be the true son of God, the eternal son of God, God the Son. Much, much bigger. Uh, like Solomon, Jesus is building God's house. Solomon not the temple in Jerusalem, but the big spiritual temple of which you and I are living stones. Much, much bigger. Every son of David was punished when he did wrong. But Jesus, well, he never sinned, didn't need to be punished. Yet he too was punished not for his sin, but for us, so that we could be forgiven when we trust in him. And he rose again in fulfillment of other prophecy to show that he really is this this promised king, this anointed one, this, this son of God, this king whose kingdom is forever jesus kingdom has come in its death and resurrection all authority in heaven on earth is given to him and one day it will come when he returns in all its fullness and his kingdom will be seen for what it is and every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is lord and he will reign forever and ever and his kingdom will have no end brothers and sisters david indeed has we can be confident in god's faithful loyal unfailing love we can be sure that his steadfast love never ceases we can be certain of his grace and we can be confident that no matter how no matter how bad things seem now no matter what's going on in our lives today he is indeed faithful and he will keep his promises to us through him let me ask you again the question i asked at the beginning of this sermon have you ever been disappointed with God, felt that He let you down, somehow or other He failed to deliver? Well, it may be that what you are expecting is not what He promised, right? If, if that's so, then you can't hold in the promises He didn't make, La, that's not fair, isn't it? God promised David the kingship, not, for example, Nathan, so Nathan can't get upset if his son doesn't become king, right? Likewise, we often want things. We want health and wealth. We want things to go our way. And God may well give us a measure of them. But he never promised us that job, that partner, that opportunity, that healing. He didn't promise that. and We can't get upset if he doesn't deliver on what he doesn't promise. But God always delivers on his promises. What he has said... He will do even if we can't imagine how so when he says that we are his redeemed people we who trust in Jesus and that he is taking us to the promised land you and I can believe that promise when he says that he will never leave us or forsake us you and I can hold fast to that promise when he says he is working all things for the good of those who love him we can believe him and trust his promise, even though things may be hard today. We can be sure that he will see us through and he will bring us to the new creation as he promised, which is far better than all the things that we look for today. And like David, we can look back on what God has done for us in Christ, we can look forward to the future he's promised to us. And we can say, wow. We can reflect on all the grace that he has shown us in Jesus. That we don't earn, that we don't deserve. We can say, actually, all of that is only because of him. His heart, his promise, his glory. And with David we say, who am I that you have done this for me? Who am I? You are great, O Lord God. There is none like you. And we can pray confidently that he will keep his promises. For we know that he will. And that one day we will stand with him in glory. Let's pray. father we thank you that you showed your grace to david and you gave him all those wonderful promises that you finally fulfilled in jesus and we thank you for your great and precious promises to us who are in christ thank you for promising us forgiveness and redemption your spirit your presence with us day by day and eternal resurrected life with you forever And thank you that we can trust you to fulfill your promises, even when life is difficult and things around us are hard. Father, may we never lose the wonder of your grace to us in Jesus. Help us always just to be so amazed at how kind and good you are to us, the things that you've done for us in the past and in the promises you have for our future all the things that you give us that we don't deserve. So please help us to keep trusting in your promises in Christ, even when times are hard. Help us keep pressing forward faithfully until the day when Jesus returns, when sin and sorrow are gone forever, and his reign as king is seen for what it truly is. So help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.